great commands, two great commandments that we began last week. Put my mic on. Okay, yeah. Uh, we began last week. We're going to continue that today, and then we'll, we'll finish up next week. And uh, I'm really, really excited about what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, seminary conducted an interesting study with some of their students. Um, what they did was they said that they got they got some students together. And they said, "Hey, we want you to prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan to preach on our on our radio show that's going to be broadcast to our listeners." Well, what they did is is unbeknownst to the students, they arranged for a man to feign a heart attack on the sidewalk outside of the building where the students were on their way to preach the sermon. <laughs> And, and uh, what happened was every single seminary student that was given this assignment to preach the sermon would walk up to the building and step around this man who was dying and walk into the building to give their sermon. And uh, I find this story, <laughs> I find this story believable, sadly, because I am exactly like these seminary students. Um, sadly, I often neglect to love other people as I am accomplishing my priorities. And my guess is that some of you may struggle with that as well. My guess is that I'm not the only one who fails to love other people. As Christians, sadly, we sometimes neglect to, to love our neighbor even while we study about it and teach it. And, and really, I think if we're going to get to a place where we, we faithfully love other people, we really have to catch the heart of Christ for people. And so this morning, I want to look at the question, or, or wrestle with the question, what is at the heart of loving your neighbor? And in order to do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, the story of the Good Samaritan. To, to wrestle with that. What is at the heart of loving your neighbor? And if you need, need a Bible, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you need one, there, there is one uh, in the back of the pew in front of you, the blue book. And uh, while you're finding Luke chapter 10, let me orient us to, to where we're at in, in Luke's gospel, in his account. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus is teaching about what it means to follow him in light of his mission to lay down his life. And to illustrate the cost of following him in his call to suffer and die, Jesus tells three parables. And the parable of the Good, Good Samaritan is the first of those three that we find in chapters 10 and 11. And as we read this parable this morning, I believe three questions, kind of three things are dealt with. We're going to see what it means to believe in God. Secondly, what is at the heart of loving your neighbor? And third, what Jesus is calling us to do about it. So first of all, what it means to believe in God. Secondly, what is at the heart of loving your neighbor? And finally, what is Jesus calling us to do about it? So I want to, I want to pray for us before we, before we read, before we continue. And and we're going to do something a little bit different today. Rather than have you stand as we read it all together, I'm going to actually um, have you remain seated after I pray because we're going to kind of read a verse at a time and kind of, kind of 
capture the story kind of live, so to speak, and, and kind of insert ourselves as if we were there hearing it. So let's pray real quick before we get started. Lord, we uh, come in here today um, thankful that we have this opportunity to, to gather, to worship you, to hear from you. Um, some of us come in here today with glad hearts. Some of us come in here today with heavy hearts and all in between. I just pray for the next few minutes that you would, you would help us to slow down, that you would help us to quiet our hearts and our minds, and that you would give us um, spirits that are attentive to what you have to say to us. I pray that you would come and be with us, that your presence would, would, would show us um, who you are and what, what it is that you desire us to know about you, to know about what it is to, to follow your son. I pray that you would use this time um, for, to, as a blessing to you and also as an encouragement to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read Luke chapter 10. We're going to start, as I said, in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what, must, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so as, if you were here last week, this story starts off, I mean, almost identically to last week. The lawyer tests Jesus, which we said is not a good thing. It's kind of like trying to trap him, trying to, to make him look like a fool. And he asks, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And basically what he's getting at is, is what do I have to do to be saved, to be right with God? And, and then in verse 26, Jesus says to him, he answers his question this way, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus is being very careful here. What he's doing is he's saying, rather than just give an answer, he, he wants to appeal to the law because the Pharisees thought that Jesus was a radical, that he was trying to defy the law, trying to defy the tradition of what um, you know, the Jewish leaders had taught. And, and so he wants to reflect on what the law teaches because it will kind of diffuse this test. And he also kind of flips the question back around on the lawyer. And so Jesus says, how do you read it? Which means, really, how do you interpret it? What do, what do you see in the law? And look at verse 27. And this is the lawyer speaking. He says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. I'm sorry, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, and your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Same, same verses that we read last week. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus uh, 19, 18, which was our Old Testament reading today. So the, the lawyer, he, he knows the law, and so he quotes directly from it. And he gets the answer right. Look at verse 28. And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking again, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So Jesus affirms the lawyer's interpretation of the law. He affirms it. And this, this answers the first question. And it's, it's similar to what we talked about last week, but it's really good for us to remember this. It's ne it never hurts to have a reminder. So the question of 
what is at the heart of believing in God? What is central to the law and, and knowing God is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But notice that Jesus doesn't just affirm that and leave it alone. He adds something. He says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And just like last week, where I talked about how after unpacking these two commands, what, what the other Pharisee was supposed to see was that he was unable to do this, Jesus is inviting this man to do the same thing. He's saying, do, when he says do this and you will live, the, the, the response is supposed to be, oh, I don't do that, and I can't do that. But just like the guy last week, this guy's just as foolish we're in the same boat. And so he asks another question. Look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this question seems innocent, but Luke tells us his motive. It says that he desired to justify himself. See, the Jews believed that so they defined a neighbor as only as other Jews, only as other covenant people of Israel. And so by asking who is my neighbor, this lawyer sought to free himself from the demands of the law to diminish God's command. He wanted to limit his neighbor to only the kind of people that he liked, only those who were of his group. How is Jesus going to answer him? Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. At this point, I mean, we're, if you're familiar with this story, it's easy to kind of miss some of the things that are going on here, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to slow down and read it verse by verse. But the lawyer asked a question, a very specific question, who is my neighbor? And rather than Jesus just giving a one-sentence answer, he tells a story. And I love that, because Jesus understands that what we need is a picture to see. We don't just need intellectual information. We need a, we need a story. And in this story, he's going to communicate something very, very key about loving your neighbor. So Jesus gets down on our level, and he shows us the way. But notice, uh, as I read that, what, what does he say? He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's really important that we catch this. Jesus is deliberately failing to identify this man at all. He just says a man. We don't know his race, and we don't know his religion. We have, we have no idea who this guy is. Okay? We just know that he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what's important for us to understand is this was a very dangerous road. It was, it was a steep decline with a lot of curves, and it was very common for robbers to hide around a curve, and when somebody would come around, they would ambush them and, and take their things. And so he, on his journey, as it says here, the man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, we want to feel the brunt of that. We want to, we want to realize, I mean, this guy is in bad shape. I mean, if, if you, 
if you want to bring this into today's context, it's as if he just got you know, in a head-on collision and he's trapped in his car covered in blood. Okay? What's important, though, is listen to the details of what Jesus said. He said, they stripped him of his clothes, which means that he would not be able to be identified by how he was dressed because people from different regions would have different clothes just like today. And then they left him half dead, which means he was probably bruised and bloody to the point to where you wouldn't be able to recognize him or identify him by his skin color or other, other, other physical features. So Jesus starts off the story leaving the man unidentifiable, and he, and he even makes it even more clear that this guy, we have no idea who he is, where he's from. But what's going to happen to him? Look at verse 31 and 32. It says, so likewise, oh sorry, Becca, 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And, um, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a priest is the first man to come up on this, this victim, this man who's been left for dead. And the lawyer, in the lawyer's mind, the priest would be the cream of the crop. He would be the, the highest moral, you know, righteous person in his, in his book. And so he comes down the road by chance, which is Jesus' way of saying that he's not really in a hurry. He's not on a particular uh, venture for business. Um, what the lawyer would probably fill in the gaps with is that this man had probably finished his duties at the temple up in Jerusalem and would be traveling back home to Jericho. But at any rate, he sees the victim, and unable to identify him, he simply passes by on the other side of the road. Similarly, the Levite comes down, and the lawyer would think that would be the next most logical person to come, because he was probably finishing his duties of assisting at the temple, traveling back to Jericho. And it says that he actually came up to the place and saw the man. So he got a little bit closer to the, to the scene of the, of the accident, of the, of the crime. Investigated it a little bit, but once again, he's unable to identify the victim. And so he also passes by. So at this point... The lawyer is kind of confused and, and also a little uneasy because the two guys that are kind of at the top of his moral ladder have failed to do anything for this man in need. And at this point, he's probably expecting the story to continue with a Jew, just a normal Jew coming back from worshiping at the temple to come on the scene. But regardless, the victim is still laying on the side of the road, half dead, right? What's going to happen? Let's look at the next verse. Look at verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. As soon as the word Samaritan left Jesus' mouth, this lawyer, this Jew, would have been both surprised and outraged at the person who is now in the story. 
This is the last person on earth that's supposed to be coming down this road because the Jews hated Samaritans. They viewed them as, as those who, I mean, they were, they were people who had intermarried. They were, they were Jews who had intermarried with non-Jews, and they had different views about worshiping God. And basically, this was the greatest enemy that a Jew had. And, Je- and Jesus says that this Samaritan was journeying. He doesn't say that he was traveling by chance. He says he was journeying, which implies that unlike the priest and the Levite, he actually did have a point to his trip. He was not finished with his business. He was on his way to do his business. But regardless, the Samaritan doesn't just come by. He doesn't just see the, le- the, 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 the man, who the victim, like the Levite. He actually has compassion. He has compassion. And this is what set him apart. He was moved by what he saw. He didn't let this scene kind of just stay at the outskirts of his mind or at the outskirts of his heart and just kind of push the reality of what was in front of him away. He allowed it to impact him and to be affected by it. His heart broke for this man that he saw, even though he couldn't identify him. Look at verse 34. It says that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan didn't just see the scene. He didn't just investigate it and get near it. He had compassion. He let it impact him. And then, in his compassion, he did something about it. He got his hands dirty. Despite the fact that he's in a hurry and he has somewhere to be, he got down on his hands and knees, and he bound up the wounds of this stranger laying in the ditch. And what probably happened in order to bind up his wounds, he probably took off some of his own clothes and tore them. And, and people in that day, their clothing was very valuable to them. They didn't have, they didn't have closets full of clothes like we do. So he's, he's already taking of his own things to take care of this man. And then it says that he used some oil and some wine to, to soothe the wound and to disinfect it. And these were probably coming from his food provisions. So he's taking the things that he needs for his trip and using them to treat this man's wounds. Then he loads the stranger on his own mule, which meant that on their journey to the inn, he probably walked, leading this man on his animal. And like it says, even though he... he, he, uh, is busy, he, he stays the night at the inn. And imagine, if somebody's half dead, you're probably not just going to you know, tuck them in for the night and go get some shut-eye and just wake up in the morning feeling rested. He was probably up off and on all night treating this man's wounds. This stranger that he has no idea who he is, he is giving up his time, giving up his stuff, loving him. 
The next morning, he needs to get on his way to fulfill the business of his trip. But before he leaves, he stops into the innkeeper and gives him two denarii, instructs him to give this guy whatever he needs, promising to pay him the difference when he gets back. And you may, you may be familiar with how much a denarius was. It was about a day's wage. And so two denarii, if you even want to use today's minimum wage, he, he gave, gave the guy over $115 for a stranger, for, for an absolute stranger. So what we've seen so far is this, this Samaritan is completely in, inconveniencing himself. He's giving of his possessions, he's giving of his money, and he's giving of his time to help this stranger. So that kind of concludes the parable, but Jesus isn't finished. He now has a question for the lawyer. Let's look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus takes this question of who is my neighbor and reverses it into which of these three proved to be a neighbor? And this answers the second question that we want to want to address this morning what is at the heart of loving your neighbor you see jesus frustrates the lawyer's desire to limit his neighbor so that he can he can have a lower responsibility to love them by teaching this identifying who is your neighbor is not at the heart of loving your neighbor actively showing compassion it's not about identifying who your neighbor is. It's actively showing compassion. So the law calls us to love and extend mercy to all people. All people. And, I mean, we could take a lot of time to talk about this this morning, and we're not going to, but I cannot leave this unaddressed. Without a doubt, this story teaches that racism has no part for the people of God. No part. This story teaches that according to the gospel, there is no place for insiders versus outsiders. There's no place for any pride or arrogance based on the color of our skin or anything else for that matter. Looking down on other people who are different than you is absolutely contrary to the heart of our God. And this is important because, you know, when we think about ourselves, nobody wants to think of themselves as prejudiced or racist. But regardless of where we fall on the spectrum, every one of us, because of our broken, sinful hearts, are prone to an us-versus-them mentality on some level. And it may just be that we do church better than those people over there. Or I manage my money better than those people over there. You can fill in the blank with whatever little category you want. But what this story is teaching is that God is calling us to love everybody and anybody, not just the people that we like. And what I walk away with from this, the, the response that it has on my heart is, God, I need you to change me. I need your grace to transform my because I am not at a place where I just am prone and desire to love all people. 
I want to be there, but I'm not. So Jesus asked this, this lawyer the question. He says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? And let's look at the lawyer's response. He says, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. The lawyer can't even humble himself to say Samaritan. It will not come out of his mouth. But at least he got the point of Jesus' parable. At least he understood that being a neighbor is about showing mercy, about extending compassion. Friends, this is what it means to love your neighbor. To be a neighbor is about showing mercy, about showing compassion. And to make it abundantly clear, Jesus gives us one more instruction. Look at the last part of verse 37. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Jesus emphatically says, You Not just go, you go and do this. Do the same as this man, this Samaritan has done. Go and show compassion to those who are in need. Go and demonstrate mercy to people who aren't like you, even the Samaritans. Go and give up your time and give up your money and give up your possessions to be a neighbor to those in need. Don't worry about their race. Don't worry about the cost to you. Every week when we read the word, we should ask, what does God want us to do? And when we're reading the words of Jesus, it's very appropriate for us to ask, what is Jesus calling us to do? I mean, we, we, we see them right there. He's calling us to go and do likewise. He's calling you, he's calling me to Go and actively show compassion to anyone and everyone at any cost. To actively show compassion to anyone and everyone at any cost. To be honest, when we think back to the last few weeks when we've been talking about our mission statement and the process, this is how we reach the world. This is how we're going to see God's reputation increase here at home and abroad by actively showing compassion to those who are in need, to anyone and everyone at any cost. I think it's really important for us to, to, to take a moment and focus on something. Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us on this topic. He's uniquely qualified to instruct us in this area because... This is exactly how Jesus loves us. Think about it this way. You and I are the man in the story, the victim, who's beat up, left for half dead. We're dead in our sins. And Jesus is the true good Samaritan. He's the one who doesn't just travel across the road and get his hands dirty. He left heaven to come to earth. And he didn't just give up some time, some possessions, and money, he ended up giving up his very life for us. So if there's anybody who's able to teach this and practice what he preaches, it's our Lord and Savior. He's the only one who has fulfilled this completely. And I believe that this parable is all about following 
Jesus because this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. This is exactly who he is. This past year, I read a book called Love Does by a guy named Bob Goff, and he happens to be a lawyer, ironically. <laughs> um, but I want you all to hear this quote from the book. I think this is really helpful for us as, as we kind of wrap up this morning. He says this. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all of the right stuff or obeying, or obeying a list of rules. It's something more. Something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. I think that's really good. Being present and making a sacrifice. And I think that, that he's really on to something. And it's really cool when you hear an author teach something and actually practice what they teach. Um, and he does that. As, as I read the story, there's a lot of really cool stories. Um, as I read the book, there's a lot of cool stories in the book of how he's gotten his hands dirty and how he's loved neighbors in need all around the world. But one of my favorites is that uh, being a lawyer, he felt compelled to get involved in some of the, the horrifically unjust things that are going on over in Africa, specifically Uganda. And uh, one of the things that he, he did is he, he was able to, to try a Ugandan witch doctor for a bunch of harm, harmful things that he had done to children. I mean, kind of things that are unspeakable. Let your mind wander to the worst things possible, and that's the kind of stuff this guy had done. And it's very hard to bring people to trial there, but uh, Goff stuck with it and was able to bring this, this witch doctor to justice. But he also didn't just take care of this, this problem in a legal matter. He also began to try to do something to restore what had happened to these young kids. And one story that I thought was particularly moving was one of the little boys that had had uh, needed to have reconstructive surgery, Goff brought to the States. And he, he arranged, I'm sure he probably even spent his own money or got with some doctors who would volunteer you know, and, and, and do, do the surgery. But uh, knowing that the surgery would be painful, Goff asked this little boy what he wanted to do after the surgery. He's like, we can do whatever you want. And the little boy said, I want to learn to fly. And he's kind of like, oh, great. <laughs> but rather, rather than just dismissing this request, Goff kind of put on his thinking cap, and he's like, let's make that happen. And so he went and bought, out, bought, bought over 1,000 balloons, helium balloons, and they began tying them to this little boy until he eventually took flight and left the ground. This is a picture this is a picture of this little nine-year-old boy with, like, over a thousand balloons tied to his back. This is loving your neighbor. This is a stranger from another continent that this man got involved in his life. He gave up his time, he gave up his possessions, he gave up his money to go and fight for this man's, this, this young child's needs. Friends, there are people 
all around our world and people right here in our neighborhood, right here in our city, on your street, on my street, who are in need of compassion, who are waiting for you, they're waiting for me to be a good neighbor. And Jesus is calling us to reach the world by loving them. The questions I think we need to ask ourselves are this, are these. Who are you going to show compassion to this week? How can you be a good neighbor today? Will you choose to actively show compassion to anyone and everyone at any cost? Let's pray.